Okay, take your Bibles with me and turn with me to the book of Esther, our next character in our study of the portraits of grace is Esther. So Esther chapter 4 is where we're going to start off, kind of our uh, jumping off point here into the life of Esther. Of course, we're not going to be able to cover everything about Esther and the story, but there are some things that we want to look at tonight uh, that shows us that Esther, who had the grace to seize the moment, the grace to seize the moment. That's the theme of our lesson here tonight. A Jewish girl shows how God in his grace sovereignly works behind the scenes in our lives, preparing us for moments of opportunity to make him known. So Esther is an example of how God works behind the scenes to create opportunities for us to minister on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at the book of Esther and read through it, you've probably heard this before, but there's one word that you never find in that book. That's God. The name God is not mentioned. And be, but that doesn't mean God isn't there. All right? I think God maybe did that for a purpose. God wrote the book of Esther. And he maybe, maybe that was to leave his name out to give emphasis in a way that uh, even though his name isn't mentioned, it didn't need to be mentioned because it's so obvious that he was working behind the scenes. And it's just taken for granted that he was. And so we see the book of Esther, and of course, it's about God also keeping his promises, how God preserved the Jewish people, and he's preserving them, okay? And how he did that back in the times of Esther, when it seemed like it could have been that uh, they could have suffered a great loss uh, in, the, in the country or in the empire of Persia, which was at that time the known world, okay? It wasn't all the world, but it was, a, it was the known world at that time for that. Has there been times when you have observed God working behind the scenes in your life? You know, can you look back in your life and say, I was going through this situation and I really didn't understand what was happening, but now that I can look back and see things, I can see God was working. Most likely you can. Because I think God's working in all of our lives. And you could probably look at a place or look at a time and you can see, you know, even though it was a difficult time, even though it was a hard time, God was there. He was there. And that's encouraging, isn't it? And that is uh, just, and it also strengthens our faith in Jesus Christ, in God, for that. You know, uh, the events of this book take place during the reign of Xerxes, all right? Ahasuerus, our Bible has, but in the, out in the secular world, it's Xerxes, okay? He's referred to as Xerxes. The estimate time is 485 B.C. to 465, okay? Uh, the years go backwards in B.C., not like A.D., where they go forward. So uh, the time 
and he's, he's on the throne. He's on the throne during a time period where the media or the Medo-Persian Empire is, is at its greatest heights. They are, they are, they are they're the most powerful nation in the world. They have extended far, and they're at their greatest height that they'll get. Not only that, but the events in this book is happening in a city called Shushan. Shushan, uh, you probably don't know where that is, but it's located in Iran, modern-day Iran. And this event, the event here in the chapter 1 where uh, the king uh, has this great, huge feast. And to us, you might read that and you go, this is just unbelievable. Why, why would you extend this and have such a lavishness? But it's, this feast is happening because the king is wanting to reach out and attack the nations of Greece. He wants to extend the empire to the east, or no, to the west, sorry, to the west. They've gone to the east, and now they want to extend to the, uh, to the west, towards Greece. They've tried it before, and they couldn't do it. Now he's, and, and to get everybody on board, he's showing how, how wealthy he is, how much money he has, how confident he is, and he's trying to get everybody on board for this invasion that he's going to go on uh, during this time. And of course, the history tells us that it was not successful, okay? The second invasion, it did not accomplish anything. He was turned back by actually a very small force of, of Greek soldiers, all right? And uh, he, he lost most of his navy at sea to a storm. And uh, so he, he, it just wasn't a good time. And he comes back and, you know, uh, he's, he's a little depressed, okay? And he's not too happy. And when he gets home, there's no one to console him because he's just, you know, he had exiled his wife, all right? Because of, uh, you know, this, this lewd and, evil thing that he wanted her to do, which she refused. And so now to help the king and get his spirits back up, uh, they say, well, let's have a beauty pageant and let's have uh, a new queen. Let's replace that queen that we, uh, that we had exiled. And that's where we pick up the story here uh, in the story of Esther. And so tonight, I want to look at three ways God moved behind the scenes in the story of Esther. Three ways that God moved behind the scenes in the story of Esther here tonight. So point, point number one, if you're following along in your bulletin here, the outline is in your bulletin. If you want to take notes or you just want to uh, just see how long I'm going to be and how fast I'm getting through it, you don't do that, do you? Anyways, um, go ahead and take a look at that as we continue on here. So point number one, the preparation of Esther. The preparation of Esther, and right away, letter A, the influence, the influence of Mordecai. Go to chapter, uh, well, I had you go to chapter 4. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 14, rather. And notice what it says. If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So that verse is talking about uh, when she was uh, encouraged by Mordecai, Esther, to 
take a stand and make known that she was a Jewish, all right, that she was a Jewish young lady, and uh, she was also going to be affected by this terrible scheme of Haman. So let's go to Esther chapter 2, and notice what it says in verse 5. Esther chapter 2 and verse 5. Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jeconah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So we see the influence of Mordecai. Mordecai, a Jew who worked in the palace, the Bible tells us. Uh, we don't have time to read all of these details from the Bible, but I'm sure you, you realize he, he worked in the palace. He, was, uh, he had raised his niece. Uh, her parents had passed away, and he took over the care of her and raised her to be, a, at least as far as we know, a moral person. We don't know if she's a religious person. Uh, we don't know the religious background of this family. Uh, it doesn't say that she was raised under the law. It doesn't say what, what she was uh, taught as a child. But we do know one thing, that she was a moral person. And uh, so we know that. But one thing that she was not to do was to reveal that she was a Jew. All right? She was not to reveal that to anybody uh, for that. For, because obviously... Uh, there was some fear there, what might happen to her. So already, what do we see here? We see anti-Semitism, okay? We see this, uh, this is, and it's just, it's, it's always there, isn't it? Uh, it's always there. And it's part of life for these people who are living in the Gentile country. They're living in, uh, in the Persian Empire. Now, Mordecai had a chance. He could have gone back with the Jews to Jerusalem, but he chose not to. I don't know why. The Bible doesn't say, but he decided to stay. And now we see him in this place, uh, and he's working in the, in the palace. Uh, letter B, we see the insistence of Haggai. All right? The insistence of Haggai. Notice it says in verse 8, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and speedily gave her things for purification, and such things as belongeth to her, and seven maidens, which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he prepared her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women." Esther had not shown her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had, told, had charged her that she should not show it. So this palace official, he has got custody of these women that have been gathered up for this, this pageant, so to speak, to, be the, to, to decide who will be the next queen, and God gives her someone who has favored her. Okay, so here's kind of the first thing, don't we see, where God's working behind the scene. Here God places someone in her life that favors her. 
and treats her very kindly and very well. And because of that, you can just imagine Esther, what she might have been feeling during this time. You know, uh, this was not a good thing. And so here she may be wondering, what's going to happen to me? What if I'm not chosen to be the queen? What's going to happen to me? And so you can imagine the fear, the anxiety that she might have been going through. But yet God is dealing with that, right? He's bringing people in her life and uh, helping her along the way. And so she has to trust God. She has to put her faith. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say she trusted God or not. But I think from us, our standpoint, we can say, yeah, those are times when you don't know the future, when you don't know what's going to happen. Those are the times that we need to trust the Lord. I don't know if you, uh, you know, an Impala is, right? An Impala, uh, it's a car you drive down the road. No, I'm not talking about that Impala. I'm talking about the animal, the Impala, okay? And uh, these, these animals are known to jump and far distances and high distances. They're known for their agility and their ability to run. But yet, they're also known that they will not jump over a wall that they cannot see where they will land. And so it's very easy to keep them in captivity and keep them hemmed in. And you know, that speaks about us sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to be the future. I'm sure you've been in a situation where uh, you had to make a decision and you had to say, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to this? I don't know what's going to be down the road. But yet, uh, we have to take a step. And we got to jump over that wall, so to speak, that proverbial wall of faith, don't we? And say, well, I'm going to trust God where I'm going to land. <laughs> and, and we have to do that sometimes. And that's where you need the Lord. That's where you need God and trust him and have that confidence in yourself that, hey, he's going to be there for me. Regardless of what's going to happen, I'm going I'm to have faith in him. Someone said, faith cannot see. And I think that kind of right along with the Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 6, you know, uh, without faith it is impossible to please him. Okay, we need, and uh, we have to have that faith in our life. So we have to learn to trust God. And does that come very, does that come right off the bat as soon as you're saved? I mean, is that a, is that something that's injected to us by salvation? And boy, we got all this great faith. No, that's something that you have to learn little leaps at a time, right? You know, I, that's how it was in my life. I never, I, you know, took a one leap and a small leap of, of faith and boy that worked out pretty good god was faithful so i took a little bigger leap and you know it's it's a learned skill isn't it it's something we learn and uh we need to realize that trusting god's promises all along the way and then we see let her see the inclination of a hazardous the inclination of a hazardous as these things as the events trans uh, transpire uh we notice here in verse 16 so Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus and to his house royal in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. 
so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So here we see Esther found favor in the eyes of the king. Okay, now the king, he's, you know, I don't know what motivated the king to choose her. The Bible doesn't tell us. He, he, he felt it, he, he, it was grace. God gave him the grace and, and found favor with her. And so again, here's the second step, isn't it? God is working behind the scenes and putting her and God's placing in that man's heart this desire to have grace and favor towards her. And uh, God is working again and God has placed her in that position. She's in that position because God put her there. And I think that's, we can all see that. We can see God working and uh, putting her there for that purpose. And then letter D, we see the induction of Mordecai. The induction of Mordecai. We notice it says in verse 2, In those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bithan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hands on the on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the books of the Chronicles before the king. Mordecai, the induction here, we see he was a gatekeeper in the palace, and he overheard this plot. How they were going to, they were angry with the king. Doesn't say why, what they, what the king did to get him so angry. But for one reason or another, they were angry and they were, they plotted this, uh, this assassination plot. And it kind of gives us a little picture, doesn't it? A little bit. You know, these are difficult times. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't safe all the time for the king. And uh, it could have gone the other way very quickly. But God put Mordecai in the right place, didn't he? You see, again, here's a third evidence of God's hand. And he's working things out. And so Mordecai, did he just happen to overhear that? <laughs> All right. And did it just happen that his, uh, you know, adopted daughter was the queen? No. These are events God is bringing together for a purpose. And all these things. And he's not publicly uh, rewarded for his deed, but it's recorded. All right? It's recorded in the records of the king. And so we go to number two. We go the ignition, the ignition of Haman. Uh, they say between chapters three and chapters four, uh, there's about four years have passed. So during this time, uh, Esther has been placed by God in her position. But, you know, again, somebody else is working behind the scenes as well. It's not just God. Who is it? It's Satan. Satan's working. And I think that's a lesson for us, isn't it? You know, we see God working, but let's always be reminded of ourselves. There's an enemy out there, and he's working too. And he's, he wants to destroy all the good that God has done. But let's praise the Lord. Our God is greater. All right? He's greater. And uh, we don't have to fear. But we need to know that, don't we? We need to understand that. If you don't understand that, then uh, you're, you're not going to really understand what's going on. You got to understand, yes, God's working, but we are, there's an enemy out there 
Uh, but uh, we can still do the work of the Lord. Uh, we don't have to be held back. And so this man, Haman, he becomes the right-hand man of the king. He rises in influence with the king. He rises in power. And he's given so much credit. And he has got so much power that the king says, I want you to reverence him as if you would me. Give him that reverence. Uh, and of course, uh, people were to bow down to him. And Mordecai would have nothing to do with that. He is not going to, you know, he sees through him. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to do that. And of course, uh, by not doing that, Mordecai, what does he do? He's bringing out something that's underlining uh, hostility that's not always up. It's not always seen, but it's always there. What is it? This anti-Semitism, okay? It's there, but, you know, it's, it's, it, and it could be glossed over. It could be just underneath the ground. But all it takes is something to bring it up again, right? And, and, and boy, we see that today, don't we? What's changed? Nothing much, has it? <laughs> so we see it there, and it just takes a little bit, just a something small, and it just comes right up again, this, this, this hatred towards God's people. And it's there. And it's not just Haman, it's, it's other people. All right, he's acting in, uh, in, 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 in feelings and uh, views of others as well. So in letter A, we see the pride. We see the pride of Haman. Notice it says in chapter 3, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hadamathath, the Agiite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Okay, so we see his pride. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. So we see this pride. You know, the Bible tells us God hates pride. Be aware of pride. Uh, Proverbs chapter, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Keep that place in Esther. We're going to come back there. But notice it says in Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. These sixteen, six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So those six things, but the first one is pride. And we, of course, we know the, the uh, pride was the, was the very thing that caused Lucifer to fall, who wanted to be like God and have the place of God. So we see that pride, God hates that. And why he hates it? Because it does so much damage and so much destruction in our world. And so Haman put himself in the place of God. Uh, we see a picture of Haman. Who's he a picture of? We, uh, many people believe that these, you know, He's a kind of a personification of one day the coming Antichrist who will hate. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll show that he loves God's people. He will show, he'll act like 
this one who can bring peace to the world, but underneath, he is evil, all right? And he hates, and he's going to go after, all right, the Jewish nation. And the Bible says he would destroy them had God not cut it short, all right? And not only that, but even the believers, all right? The believers, people that would get saved during the tribulation period, he will hate them as well. And there'll be many, many, many people be martyred for their faith in Christ uh, during that time. So here's a picture. Haman is that personification of that hatred, that pride that we see here in this, uh, this, this, this character that's coming in the future. But you know what? Even though Satan is trying to destroy God's plan and to keep God from fulfilling his promises, he can't do it because God's all-powerful and God can keep his promises. Because he promised to Abraham, didn't he? He says, I'll make you a great nation. He promised them that. And not only that, but he says, I'll make you as a blessing to the world. And he has. He's fulfilled that through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He came through the Jewish nation. And we have salvation today because of Jesus Christ. And so all of these things have been fulfilled. And God is still protecting his people. All right? And he is still... Uh, going and uh, just uh, prepare, preparing them and preserving them for a future plan that he has for these people. Uh, someone said this, the Jews has attended the funeral of everyone who has tried to exterminate them. Everyone who's tried to, you know, in a general sense, everybody who's tried to destroy them, uh, they're gone, but they're still here. The, the people of God are still here. So we see that God keeps his people and he keeps his promises. Let us see the plan of Haman, the plan of Haman. So what is his plan? Notice it says in verse 8 of chapter 3, And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Let it, if, it, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasures. So here's his plan. It's subtle. It's evil. He doesn't name them. He doesn't say who they are. But he convinces the king that they need to be destroyed. Isn't it funny? Here's the king, the most powerful man in the world, uh, yet he's sitting and he doesn't know who he's talking about. But yet everybody in Shushan, the Jews knew who he was talking about because they were the ones when they heard that report, they went out and they started to mourn, fasting and praying. But the king is oblivious to these things. And, uh, and so he doesn't know. And... And why are, the, why are the Jews in fear? What's, what's got them so afraid? Well, they know the law of the Medes and the Persians. You've probably heard that before, haven't you? The law of the Medes and the Persians. What does that mean? It means that when a, a, the Persian nation, when a king made a law, it could not be reversed. It could not be revoked. The king did not have the power to call it back. So it was, it was stamped. It was permanent. And so they're, you know, they're thinking, this can't even be overturned by the king. If he wanted to change his mind, he couldn't. But praise the Lord, we know someone higher than the king, amen? And it's the Lord. 
And the Lord can take care of that. And so it leads us to point number three here tonight, the declaration, the declaration of Esther, a defining moment in Esther's life. The reason for that special place in the kingdom comes out. The light has been shed. And now we see uh, letter A, Mordecai's identification, his identification. Uh, now, before, didn't want anybody to know that he was a Jew, didn't want people to know. Now he comes out and he identifies with the Jewish people. Notice it says in chapter 4 and verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. So now he's identifying with the Jews. All right, he's, he's, he's identifying with them. Uh, and so Esther hears about this morning. She hears about what her uncle's doing. She doesn't understand. And so at letter B, we see Mordecai's instructions. Instructions. Notice it says in verse 13, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. And we've read verse 14 already. So he tells her, he says uh, to Esther, listen, uh, you're at a time, you're at a place in your life where now you got to make a decision. What do you do? You can say, well, I'm the queen and surely the king wouldn't kill the queen. <laughs> she might think I'm safe. But, but Mordecai says, are you truly safe? And really, uh, if you think you are, you're not. Uh, so he encourages her. Uh, this is a time that now you need to you need to stand with the Jews, and you need to make known who you are, and you need to petition the king and and do something. For this may be the reason why you're there in that position. And even Mordecai, he he kind of mentions and he kind of talks about yes, this idea of God sovereignly. He doesn't mention God, but he says this may be sovereignly why. You're in the position in which you're in uh, for this. You know, uh, I think most of you can remember 21 years ago when the Challenger uh, when it, uh, came back into the atmosphere over Louisiana and Texas, uh, going back to 2003, when that vessel came into the Earth's atmosphere, uh, it, it exploded. It burned up, literally disintegrated uh, because... Of when it on liftoff, if you'll remember, uh, something fell off and hit uh, the part of the the outside and cracked it and broke it off, therefore making it uh, susceptible to the heat. That shield was broken, that was there to protect it. And when those people came back in uh, to the orbit of the Earth, or rather to the atmosphere of the Earth, uh, it be, it burned up, and those seven people of that crew lost their lives. And we think of that terrible tragedy uh, for that. But yet, uh, we know for certain that two people on that craft were believers. They were Christians. And you know, you think, well, if they were Christians, why would God put them in that position? Why would God do that? And those are hard questions, aren't they? And, and we don't always know the answer to those questions. Uh, but there's one thing we do know that God has a purpose. And you know, uh, sometimes we wonder why God would do something like that. And we have to remember, you know, God has a purpose and he sees things that we don't see. 
He understands things that we don't understand. And so we just got, we got to trust him for what he's doing. And, you know, uh, those two men, they've been encouragement to other people. All right, to other Christians who are facing difficulties, that are facing uh, obstacles in their life, and they get encouragement from their story. Still today, they're being encouraged uh, by their story. And so it's hard to understand these events. And sure, Esther, she's probably thinking the same thing. Why are these things happening? How could this be happening to us? It seems like all is lost. But there's one thing we have to remember is that we have a great faith. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. So we can't always go by what we see. We have to trust the Lord and, and realize that He has a purpose for all of these things, and even though when we may not understand. And then it leads us to point of letter C, Esther's involvement. Esther did agree to go into the king's presence, which was actually a test of her faith uh, to go into his presence. He was in his court. And it was an official court, and no one could enter that court without permission. Uh, and so she decided to go in anyways and present her case. And she found favor in the sight of the king. He extended to her the scepter, which basically gave her immunity to the law that anyone coming in uninvited would be put to death. And so she found favor inside of the king there again. And she was able to thwart the plan of Haman. And the Jewish nation was saved because of her courage and because of her faith. In conclusion tonight, providence puts us in places where we can influence others for Christ and lead them to faith in Christ. You know, God wants us to be a witness where we are. And sometimes things happen. Sometimes God's working behind the scenes so that we can be that witness that he wants us to be at that point in time that he's got planned for us. But sometimes it's hard to realize that. Sometimes we don't see that because we don't see God working. We don't see the spiritual uh, things uh, of life. I, I was just reading uh, a little devotion today, and it talked about that time in Elijah's life where he was with his servant, and they were surrounded by the, is, the army of Israel. And, in the, and the servant just could not understand how, how Elisha could be so calm. He thought he was, you know, what's wrong with you? And Elisha prayed that prayer, open the eyes of my servant. And he opened those eyes and he saw that great army of angels surrounding them. And, you know, we don't, you know that was a, what a blessing it was, you know, to see that. That's, we don't get to see that. Uh, but God allowed that to happen for our test, for us, to encourage us that, yes, while we don't see these, we only see the physical world, but there's a spiritual world. There's battles going on. And God's working. Yes, God is working and he's overcoming for that. In Psalm chapter 55, verse 22, it says, cast thy, brother, bre, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. So very quickly tonight, uh, some lessons we learned from Esther. Number one, God has an individual plan for each of us. Just as God had a plan for Esther, he has a plan for you. Letter B, God can work all things together for good all things together for his good. And let her see, determine to seize the opportunities God gives us to share the gospel. All right, because of the events in our life and where God places and the conditions and at the opportunities we have, let's take those opportunities to share Christ.
All right, let's bow our heads in, in, in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, thank you again uh, for this lesson on Esther, Lord. Thank you that uh, for the reminder it gives us to, of our of faith and what we can do and how we can uh, live our life trusting you every step of the way. Father, we know even here tonight there are people, uh, their, faith, their faith is being tested today. Uh, Lord, we understand that. And so, Father, uh, we pray you'd strengthen them, encourage them, uh, Father. And Lord, as we pray for them, uh, as we lift them up to the throne of grace, Lord, uh, may you just uh, work in their hearts and their minds. And Father, we thank you for all that, uh, all the blessings we have received. And Lord, uh, just help us to realize that all things work together for good. The Bible is true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.